when I'm holding my breath and I'm underwater, like there's something about the sound underwater. It's like that almost like static, that white noise. Mm. And you know, a lot of people, you know, like with meditation, having ambient noise that isn't necessarily anything that you can focus on, it's just noise. Mm. Like it helps us bring things into the present and I've tried meditating and can kind of do it, but not well. But underwater, man, it's just instant meditation. This episode of Please Blow My Mind is proudly supported by the lovely team at Sunpix Post. Yes. I've got one of the directors here. Is that correct? That's correct. You're yes. like a boss. I am a boss. Well, Poppy's the boss, really. She's kind that. of managing the place. For those just watching, uh, the cutest little dog ever. Oh, looked at me on cue. <laughs> Don't bite me. Uh, for those listening, uh, we're in the Sunpix I've called it the Sun Picks Podcast Studio. Yes, and we are we're we're on this mission to create good conversation. Exactly. Yeah. To acknowledge uh, the kind of traditional media, which is telly and radio, but give it a bit of a revamp into this whole podcast world. Exactly. Of, of you know, like in the past, Dan. Um, things cost a lot of money to make yeah now we can talk for hours yes and i think that's what we're both excited about right that's what some picks is excited about yeah like, yeah and the possibilities are endless mm. you know you start one you talk about one um topic and you get different guests in and mm. then they have different ideas and it's all about spreading ideas yep. and making yeah engaging content really and um we should start a, uh, like a conference called ted talks ted talks and it's just us <laughs> spreading <laughs> ideas ideas worth sharing i think is their um yeah tagline. it is so anyway we can rip that off one day uh, just quickly if people want to check out the Sunpix story um, they can jump online they can sunpixpost.co.nz so we're a post-production facility and we basically make content uh, for TV mm. for web and um, we specialize in finishing so color grading and uh Sound mixing, uh, podcast recording, voiceover recording. Awesome. Yeah, we try and do a little bit of everything around so here. Kind of like creative one-stop shop. If you need to get yes, your message out there, true. Yeah, come and uh, leave. Come the and visit Poppy. She's here. She's an office <laughs> dog, and she will probably bark at you as you walk in. Yay! Yeah. Sunpixpost.co.nz. <laughs> this episode of Please Blow My Mind with me, Will Fleming, is brought to you by FloatCulture.co.nz. Float Culture is Auckland's leading flotation tank centre created for the well-being of the body and mind. When you float with floatculture.co.nz, you'll create meaningful and lasting change with mindfulness and complete physical relaxation. Floating will become an integral part of your busy lifestyle. Float Culture is motivated to ensure that the entire experience achieves maximum relaxation, happiness and relief for you. So if you want to be part of the float culture scene in New Zealand, visit floatculture.co.nz to book your float and blow your mind right now. As a very special offer to you, the Please Blow My Mind listener, you'll get 20% off your next float by using the promo code MINDBLOWING, all one word. Visit floatculture.co.nz and book your float today. We live in a world that encourages us to remove ourselves from the human experience. Whether it's looking at our phones too long, forgetting how to talk to someone face to face, or just straight up giving in and convincing ourselves that a chicken nugget is actual food. It's not food, it's silence. I don't know about you, but this freaks me out. So I've started a podcast, my antidote to this silliness. It's time to blow our minds. My name is Will Fleming. Welcome to my podcast, Please Blow My Mind.
Brad, what's up, man? How are you? Good, thank you. Well, we thank just talked about asking people, how are you? So how yeah. are you? I'm, I'm doing well today, actually. Yeah, it's uh, sort of one of the better, better days. They, they vary sometimes. Mm. Like just physically, my body will decide it's uh, not going to play ball some days and, and other days it you know, feels fine. But, you know, generally, I guess the, the surface answer to that one is I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you talked about like, you know, I guess how your body chooses to react on a day. Does it feel like it's just a shell and that you are what's inside your brain? I mean, it's something that I guess a lot of people think about, but, you know, um, don't really have to ever really think about it. Totally. Um, and I definitely, thanks to the injury, I, I had to think about that a lot more. And um, Someone actually sent something through to me that was uh, where they referenced like a, um, an amputee, someone who's lost a limb. And they come into the room, it's like, you don't say, oh, good to have three quarters of you here with us today. Mm. You know, it's, it, we're still a whole person, even yeah. though, I mean, sure, I've still got my entire body, but it doesn't work from the shoulders down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I did a lot of thinking on that. And I, I guess um, there's some some really cool uh, TED Talks and yeah. some, some people that I followed. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a, a really interesting one. Um, and talks about, you know, the mind and things like that. But, yeah, just kind of figuring out, like, you know, even I'm not my body, but, you know, and the, the brain that's in my head is just tissue and stuff. So I'm not even my brain. I'm mm. like the electrical signals that are happening within it. But then there's these, these words and, and, and thoughts and everything going on, which almost are like sitting above the brain. And yeah, right. It's, kind of, it's this trippy thing <laughs> to go trippy. into. And, and it makes you wonder but, why why it is like that. I spent ages thinking about that, mm. you know, and I get it why people want to put things down to mystical and stories and all of that stuff. And I guess some ways it helps because to explain something so you're not sitting there. But I do like, like I like that we don't know. I think yeah. it forces us to, you know, not... Well, to explore. And, yeah, man. Yeah, see what other, you know, possible um, things we can come up with of, of what it really is that um, mm. is going on and... Um, yeah, it's a, I mean, we could talk for hours probably <laughs> yeah. just on that. But. So just for like me, because you know what professional interviewers do is they research their guests and I just kind of know the current version of you, the social media version, the one that's posting regularly, you know, talking about, I guess a little bit what we're talking about, just how do you get, how do you live in today? And I'm very fascinated with that, but like what's, that backstory, man, like, so in my mind, it's like you're a wakeboarder, then you had this accident, and now you're you. Like, I guess if we go right back, what was the story behind wakeboarding? Was that, was that the dream since you were a little dude? Yeah, I was about, I think, 11 or 12 when I first tried it. Yeah. And I'd been water skiing for a few years. My mum was actually one of New Zealand's top water skiers. So she held the woman's jump record for. 10 years or something and um, so she got us into water skiing at a young age and we were on a family holiday one um, one Christmas and some friends brought a uh, new wakeboard thing along and I you know I was super interested in it because by that point I was already snowboarding and yeah. doing a little bit of skateboarding and stuff and um, I jumped on that and I never water skied again to be honest <laughs> I, I, to be, I, I don't think I ever yeah, stepped on a water ski again after that. And so, I mean, it took a little bit of, you know, just 
going away with family and, and just doing it every now and again. And then next thing I'm, I joined a um, ski club here in Auckland. Yeah. Um, they used to hold a, a wakeboard club night. I think it was every Tuesday and Thursday. And um, met some dudes there who are now some of my best friends. True. And, um, they were a bit older. Uh, they were, I think, four to five years older than me. And they'd been traveling and, and wakeboarding and, and coaching and stuff in, in the, uh, the US and in England. Mm. And so they kind of opened my eyes to this, like, shit, you can travel with this? Like, you can make a living, you can um, become professional. And yeah. so I think from there, I, I must have been, I was 16 when I dropped out of school. I left a year early. I just decided it wasn't for me. I'd, yeah. Do you remember it? Just like, nah. I'm not, I'm not, because you know, lots of parents put the pressure on their kids, eh? Like, finish. Yeah, they did. Parents. I actually got, so I went to Auckland Grammar yeah, um, so to I. start off with. And then after my first year, I took a bit of a slide down the grammar slide. Yeah. Um, and I ended up, uh, my parents sent me weekly boarding at King's. You know, that's the worst thing for a grammar boy <laughs> to get sent to King's. And, um, and I ended up getting in fights and stuff all year because, you know, again, I'm coming in when there's, everyone's formed all their groups and, you know, I'm coming from the rival school. And, um, and I ended up getting my nose broken by a seventh former um, toward the end of the year. And, and they've got this zero tolerance for bullying thing. And they kind of swept it under the rug. I got as much punishment as the, the guy who broke yeah. my nose. Yeah. And, um, so my parents were like, oh, well, that's, you know, and I wasn't, I, I didn't really... They thought it was going to pull me into line, you know, this this um, going to Kings and, you know, academically. And yeah. it, it didn't really. I mean, I was interested in some um, some topics, but, uh, yeah, and they just kind of decided, well, that was a bit of a waste of money. <laughs> um, I got my grandma jersey for Christmas <laughs> yeah. under the tree, and uh, I was stoked. So, um, yeah, went back to grammar, and then just by that point, um, into sixth form, I was like, yeah, no, I need to do something else this isn't for me I actually ended up going to Auckland Uni for a few months doing um, a sport and rec course and I think it was about three weeks before my first semester exams I got offered a job at a wakeboard camp in the US and I was like well I can you know I was kind of weighted up I, was like, I can either get a piece of paper that says I can kind of sort of maybe coach any sport or I could go into physio or I could do this. It was a nothing paper. It's yeah. sort of just something that you start with. Mm. Um, or I can go and learn from the best coaches in the world and become, you know, specialized in, yeah. in wakeboarding, which is what I was so passionate about. Awesome. So and how old were you then? 17 when I left, right. um, packed my bags, went to Orlando for the summer Whoa. or the, the U.S. summer. And that was the first of 21 summers in a row. And that was um, a different America, eh? That was an America that was seen by the world like movies saying eh? a little bit I, I you know what I it mean was, like yeah. it was, that kind of it was still the land of <laughs> dreams well, it was before all social media where I think a lot of you know a lot of truth has come out since then because there's mm-hmm. less control on what's released around yeah. these places and I saw you know I love America like I, I love the people I love um, you know the place but it, the you know it's one of these love hate things you know yeah. there are certain things I don't like about it as well but at that point, yeah, I was just loving it. Like that was, I was living and breathing wakeboarding and twenty-one summers. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that when I heard you say it online. So that's just like go one place, one place, one place. So and pretty much from yeah, New Zealand and Australia to the US and 
So I'd go from Southern Hemisphere to Northern Hemisphere, back and forth every year. And, and along that, you know, almost like a corporation, you're pushing, you're trying to expand and grow. And I mean, yeah. that I've heard you talk about it, that kind of plays a part in eventually what happened. But mm. I mean, man, that must have been so fun. Just like... Oh, it was. And, yeah. and I just, the reason I dove, I dove straight into it was mm. because I was so passionate about it and I'd always you know been taught that you're supposed to pursue your passions um and even though my parents you know they were supportive but they were also very hesitant um wondering sort of how i was gonna support myself and have a, have a living and um but you know i was uh, at the end of that first season i won a world title i think yeah. that gave them a bit of confidence True. in what i was doing and um but again i really struggled with the sponsorship side of things and uh, a lot of that was timing. Um, a lot of the the funding was sort of moving. Like, you know, the, they say the golden years of um, wakeboarding and professional wakeboarding was kind of the early 2000s. And yeah. uh, I came in a bit late and kind of peaked right when the economy took a massive crash True. in 2008. And <laughs> as much as I was kind of propelled into the limelight and my, you know, people knew my name and mm. um, I'd landed the 1080, which was one of the first in the world to do it. And all I was given was a pat on the back and sorry, we got no funding. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was before social as well, where you could kind of like raise these things in real time, eh? Or get advice from people in the DMs and yeah. like connect with people. Yeah, like we connected. I think it was MySpace at that point was just pretty much all that that's, was out that's there. That's awesome. Um, but I mean, it's it's changed the game though. Um, social media thing. I mean, I, one of my best friends is a social influencer, and he's making a killing, like making <laughs> way more money. Uh, actually, I had this moment, which you know, I love the guy to bits and and everything he's doing. I'm super proud of him for and. But there was this like jealousy that I had uh, a couple of years ago where I was, as a wakeboarder, I was sponsored by G-Shock. And I'd say sponsored in the very loose sense of the word. Yeah. I got a few watches yeah. and I was trying to get paid, but I never really got anything out of them. Um, and then next thing, he got a deal with G-Shock to, what was it? I think he had to give them four photos. And he got four grand and like eight watches or something. something. Yeah. And it just, it cut me so deep because he's not a specialist in anything. Like, yeah. you know, goes wakeboarding, goes surfing, does this and that. But I devoted my life to this. Mm. And even my injury came from that desire to, to earn and, and, and to get sponsorship and to be known. And mm. um, I was pushing it so hard because I was so sick of not making a living. True. And so, you know, like it was at the point where I was, ju I was just starting to like um, be noticed again. And, you know, I just landed that trick that I crashed on and, mm. um, and I was going for it again to get it on film um, for this movie. And then so to me, like that was like sponsorship was a huge part of the reason for me doing that. As much as I loved pushing the sport, it was about trying to earn a living. Um, do you think we think today as sponsorship like followers like was this it's changed was it like yeah. a validation or, or was it just basically the nuts and bolts of trying to live yeah it was a funding yeah. i mean it, like early on it was like oh yeah i can put a sticker on my board and mm. i look professional yeah. and i get free stuff yeah but after that you know the point where i'm like 
not able to really even feed myself yeah. and can't put gas on the boat, so I can't train. Right. And I'm still trying to compete, but I can't match up to these guys that are spoon-fed, the, yeah. you know, guys in the States who mum and dad buys them the boat, they yeah. live on the water, they get the gas in the boat, you know, it's, mm. they get it all handed to them. And, and I think, in a way, as much as that sucked for me, and I hated that, like that's what molded me into mm. A, being so hungry for, for success and pushing so hard. Like if I'd have been handed everything, I probably wouldn't have been so so hungry and pushing you know to get what I what I was doing and um, and as well I think a lot of those hardships from like not you know some days not even knowing knowing where I was going to sleep like I had my truck and that was like you know there there was a time I think it was a couple of weeks I didn't have it and I didn't you know I was, I was having to call favors on people mm. and try to get people to pick me up and Were you communicating stay at friends with houses. people back home like were you telling a little bit, but not parents? so much. No. Was there a pride thing? Like I gotta, I just gotta make this work. I mean, I'd, I'd call, I'd reach out to mum when I'd like really, really, really <laughs> <Yeah>. needed money. <laughs> but I mean, she was, she was good. She'd bail me out if I really, really needed it. But it was, um, uh, I think it was my second season in the states. First season I was at the Wakeboard Camp, so it didn't cost me much. Mm. Second season I was over there and just 100 percent just training. Like didn't want to be at the camp um i was living with my friend jeff weatherall and um andrew fountain both top wakeboarders in the country here and um clocked up a pretty decent sized debt uh, on my mom's credit card (laughs) and she basically after that one was like hey look okay this is basically my university payment for you yeah like i've paid for your sisters to go to uni Here's, you know, for her first year, here's your version of that. Mm. You're on your own wow. um, from now on. And But, she, I mean, she did help me out every now and again after that. But, it, um, yeah, as you said, it was uh, I didn't reach out a lot because, mm. um, again, it was before. You know, it was when I had to go buy a calling card and dial in from a payphone or something. It was, yeah. it was a different, whole different world back then. So the 21 summers, was it like that or did it kind of get... I guess more secure as time went on, or was it a was it a challenge the whole time? It was a challenge a lot of the time. Because yeah. um, what time frame are we looking over from when you first went to camp to your accident? Yeah, from uh, twenty seven to sorry, seventeen years old to twenty seven. So right. that's two thousand four to twenty fourteen. Yeah, um, and yeah, it was it was a struggle most of the time until pretty much the year before my accident, twenty thirteen. Um, the year before that I'd picked up the mic and started commentating in the Pro Tour True. over there and that just happened because um, there were two main commentators and um, when one of them would take a lunch break like I was, I'd been doing it a, a little bit back in New Zealand so I went and joined the other guy on the mic to fill in and then uh, I guess budget cuts or whatever happened mm-hmm. and, and so they couldn't pay that other guy anymore and mm-hmm. I was obviously willing to do it for less. <laughs> Give me a hotel room yeah. and, a, you know, a hundred bucks or something mm-hmm. for the end of the contest and um, I was happy because to me that meant I was I was walking away from the contest without losing money yeah. um, whereas before it's like if I don't make top ten, how much am I going to lose? Mm-hmm. So even by doing that, that took the pressure off um, just by having a bit of... Um, you know, a bit of that cushion. Um, And so 2013 was when Lake Ronix came about. 
And straight away, I basically decided that I was going to live there and manage the place. Um, it was before even getting there. And uh, I arrived and got to work and just worked my ass off and yeah. just kind of had this work ethic that not, not a lot of the other guys or actually no one else on the team really had. Mm. Well, you'd built that up, eh, over those years of... Yeah, and because I'd always have to come back to New Zealand and work to pay off my debts. True. Um, but also, you know, I was, a lot of these other guys, they had the money, the sponsorship, they had the house, the boat, everything there in Orlando. And to me, this this meant not paying, not having to pay rent, mm-hmm. not having to pay for riding or training. Mm-hmm. Um, all of, my only expense was food. And, and I was getting paid to be there. Like, it wasn't a lot, but um, that was when kind of the pressure came off in terms of the living situation over there. Um, but I mean, it was still stressful yeah. the whole time. It was never easy. And uh, and the, the, the frustrating thing was like, right when, um, when the injury happened was when kind of the stars were starting to align for me. Like everything was, you know, it was starting to fall into place. Yeah. Sponsorship was starting to come my way. Like I was in negotiations with a couple of different companies that, you know, I was about to start getting paid some money and then the injury happened and it was like, go on. Like, <laughs> it, it was like, it was like Brad from before died mm. at that point. Do you see it that way? That it's a, just a different you? Um, in some ways, yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, it, as I, you know, as I said, it was like, it was kind of like the me from before died mm. and because... A, I almost got to like witness my own funeral. You know, when like someone dies, everyone, you know, you get these eulogies and everyone gets together at the funeral and everyone, you know, gets together for that person. Mm. People were doing that at fundraisers for me. I was getting these messages and it was kind of like I got to witness that. And, you know, I'm super grateful to to been able to get that, uh, that sort of support and um, that sort of love come my way. And, yeah, I think... Um, just a lot changed you know I was I actually watched something the other day and it there was a, a quote in it that just it grabbed me and I think it was something about revealing your truth mm. and it was like my injury revealed my truth it was it stripped away all of the bullshit everything that didn't matter and it's like okay this is who you are outside of the physical you know this is this is what these neural connections and and electrical impulses and everything going on in your brain like this is the root of you now mm. and i had to build myself back up from that point Fuck, man. Um, <clears throat> i mean i talk a lot on the podcast about the metaphor i have is you know there's guests who have looked into the abyss and then you've got whatever that means i don't really know mm. but you kind of seems like you got two options it's like you either go into it or you come back and but you're definitely not the same Mm. you know I think the thing for you is you know physically and mentally you know you you kind of came back from this place and I guess it's that you know it's quite mind blowing if you think about it because Mm. you will forever see the world differently to everyone else and have these insights but yeah for the maximum price eh and it it gets frustrating a little bit sometimes because I do see things differently and Mm. And I have to reel myself in and, and realize that everyone's on their own journey. And, yeah. and just because they're doing something a different way doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong. Mm. It's, 
you know, it, it's wrong for me, but it may not be wrong for them. Yeah. Um, and I've just got to, you know, just do my thing and focus mm-hmm. on on what I'm doing and obviously speak up if it's something that I really am passionate about or if it affects people that I love. And yeah. um, But no, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. It's changed. It's changed everything. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of things that, I, like it's changed it in a negative way, um, things that I would... Uh, that I would love to to change back obviously the physical side of things and everything that comes along with that and especially when it comes to relationships and Mm. having that physical touch and um, because there's so much in body language and and connections and stuff even as you said when I got here reaching out shaking someone's hand when they arrive it's um, the amount of people that reach out and then awkwardly like uh, yeah. don't know what to well, do well I had thought about it yeah. and like my instinct is to right mm. but then I thought well I've never reached out to touch somebody and they can't they can I mean it's probably like I was thinking I might touch you and then you might say hey, I don't like that but I've done it yeah. so the option I chose is just to say hello mm. and then who knows at what moment I let go you yeah. know but that's the thing about this stuff is it's all in real time, eh? And I think we get a sense that we're, we can all make these perfect decisions. But the more I think about it, the more I talk to people, we're just, we're just rolling as we go, eh? Yeah. And, the, I mean, the things that I, that I wouldn't change, the positive things mm. that have come from this accident, they, you know, they're things that, you know, if I could, if I could go back to 27-year-old Brad before the accident and have the knowledge that I've got now, but still have the physical ability and realize, you know, cause I was stripped of the ego completely. Yeah. Like, you know, I was humbled beyond, uh, you know, beyond what I could have ever imagined. And um, what that teaches us and, and um, kind of the journey that that set me on, like I, I learned things about myself that I would have, I almost, sometimes I, I refer it to it like I got, um, like I got sent forward in time 40 years or 50 years to become almost like a grandparent, right. you know, with like wisdom, but then yeah. also like you're sitting back, you're an observer now. Mm. Um, there are things you can't do and you have to sit back and just let things be and, and enjoy watching other people mm. do things. And, and um, chip in when you can. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all these things. And it was also funny. I, um, I had some friends in, in the wakeboard industry who were, you know, they were, still professional wakeboarders when I had my accident. And now, you know, we're five years on now. Um, and in that space, you know, a lot of them have moved on to other things. They've, they haven't been able to, you know, live the dream anymore. And a lot of them have had to go through some of those learnings that I went through, but I had to get, you know, I was thrown into that instantly, like split second, bam, now you're in this situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas for them, it was kind of a, an evolutionary thing over several years that they had to learn and, but it was kind of cool to to realize that they were on you know in some ways learning the same things that I had mm. um, what do you think other Brad would be up to let's say I mean thought about that um, I don't know if I'd still be at Lake Ronex uh, I mean I, I loved it there but yeah. um, whether that was something that was going to be an ongoing thing I mean I'd kind of planned I had a few things kind of line up that, that I was planning on doing. Um, there was a cable wakeboard system company down the road that they would go around installing these cable systems around the world, sort of like 
the T-bar type thing on a snow, you know, on a snowboard, but um, going around the lake. And um, because of my work ethic at Lake Ronex, that already offered me a job to go and mm. work for them, which is kind of what I'd planned on doing over the winter in, in the US. Because at that point, I'd gotten myself a five-year visa. I was going to stay there and yeah. maybe travel around a little bit, but um, I really wanted to kind of set my roots um, mm. in Florida you know, to be able to have a relationship. Yep, yep. I'd been 10 years, you know, six months here, six months there, and it was, I wouldn't say impossible to, to have a relationship like that, but I was also in the mindset, I was like, part of me was was like, oh no, that's gonna be too difficult. Yeah. And the other part of me is like, yeah, I'm gonna have some fun, yeah. travel around, be well, single. you're a superhero to people who oh, see you, eh? Dude, it was, um, I mean, I certainly lived the life, and. Yeah. There's something I'm enjoying talking about in my book at the moment. Mm. I'm writing um, my autobiography, and Sweet. you know, it's got to it's got to be a very honest telling of of my life. That you know, I've got to really show how life was before my injury, mm. so that it, people can really feel how things changed afterwards. Mm. So sex is a big thing, a big part of that, right? Because it was quite high up on my priority list, yeah. as it is for most young men. Yeah, um, and to have that almost completely taken away from me like sure I can still have sex but it's it's completely different of course um but yeah I mean that like it's um it was yeah it was a it was a cool life uh I don't know what I would be doing now I'd I'd like to say I'd probably still be um over in the states I'd probably be commentating and probably not competing anymore um maybe getting into more of a coaching role and mm. um maybe a bit more of a mentor and the, the team ronix and um but yeah I'd, I'd like to think i'd still be living on on site at lake ronix and because i mean the thing i loved the most about that and i guess it goes back to almost one of your first questions about um i guess the mindset and mm. Uh, you know, kind of how I got to where I am now, but I was living with no power, no running water. I mean, I had a small generator to, to run a light and charge my phone and uh, run the air conditioning unit, but I was living in a trailer. Like, it was, for most people that would look at it, they would kind of turn their nose up and go, that's why would anyone want to live there? Mm. But if you turn the camera around and, and show the other direction of where it was I was living, I was like 30 steps away from a white sand beach with mm. uh, palm trees and tiki huts and two private lakes on a 210-acre yeah. private property that I was running. Um, I mean, and I would bathe in the lake every morning, yeah. uh, swim with the alligators, yeah. <laughs> which is creepy because there were definitely alligators in the lake. Maybe, maybe other bread would have been eaten by now. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. You know, maybe this was my saving grace and that, I didn't get eaten by an alligator. Oh, it's just weird how we can even ponder stuff like that, eh? Mm. Like, you, uh, And this injury, like, threw me down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I went to every different, uh, every different possibility of not even just like how life would be now but even on my injury itself how many different ways could I have changed things to to have crashed differently to have then not had this injury or gone in face first and had a traumatic brain injury or I could have died or you know but then after my accidents like I could have dated this girl or that girl I could I could have a kid by now um who knows and and 
that was something that really taught me a lot about presence Mm. because living in the past like that or in the unknown like that I guess it's more of the um, uh, what would you call it it's just not reality Um, yeah like the imagination can do cruel things too eh? it can and living in in the past like that like going oh what if this happened or that or looking at how good my life was before Mm. it was it was depressing, um, and it, you know, I, I, I truly, to my core, like grieved and missed the person I was before, and so, and it's, you know, I could imagine it being like a mother who had lost a child, yeah. sitting there grieving and and missing that child, but I was still me, Whoa. missing me, Whoa. and it's like, I, you know, I had to just reel it in and. And I had the help of this woman named Susie. She's a kinesiologist and used to, um, I used to, she owns a Pilates studio and I used to go there for you know, knee surgery and shoulder surgery and back injuries and stuff that I um, would just, mainly for conditioning. Yep. But she's helped me out a lot since my injury, especially in the, you know, the mental space. Right. Um, she's a really onto it person and um, has been through a lot herself and, just has this outlook on life that mm. kind of cuts through the bullshit and basically, yeah, kind of got me out of that, like living in the past and kind of brought me into the present because mm. actually there's this cool quote that I saw where it's, um, I've used it a few times where uh, no amount of regret can change the past and no mm. amount of anxiety can change your future. Mm. And like I was getting anxiety because of worrying about the future like what's life going to be like you know can I have kids and if I do like can't even hold my own child right. and you know what's that going to be like what you know what sort of girl's going to want me and all this you know what is my future going to be and it just is such an anxious thought process to go through and um and then yeah they say depression lives in the past mm. um so yeah I had to reel that in I had to you know, the present is such a powerful way to live because it is the only truth. Um, you mean like right now? Right now. Like, yeah. this is the only thing that's actually real. Mm. The <laughs> yeah. past is gone. You can't do shit about that. Yeah. The future hasn't done, hasn't come. We don't know what that's going to be. So right now, and actually it's funny because right now the, the absolute present is still in the past by like <laughs> the, the fraction of a millisecond yeah. in the time it takes our brain to process mm. what reality is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super powerful living in the present. Um, it's, it's what's helped me to, to be happy again. Yeah. Um, and it's part of that is being truthful and being honest about who we really are. Um, and something I like to, to talk about in my public speaking engagements is uh, like almost my tagline is, is own you. Mm. You know, you, like a lot of it, what I had to go through was acceptance. And I hated that, didn't want to accept this. The word acceptance sounds submissive. Yeah. Um, but I think that was the first step. And then by accepting it, you know, figuring out who I am and um, then I own it. You know, it's, it's, it's powerful because you are completely honest about who you are. And if you, you know, I guess owning it means to not be 
um, I guess, holding back who you are, not trying to fit in and be normal. Like, we're all different, we're all weird, we're all got some strange, different thing about us that can contribute to society. Mm. Um, and if we suppress that, and that is what everyone tries to do in high school, because you want to be normal, you don't want to be that weird guy or whatever, mm. like you, you want to fit in. But, well, you know, the whole way through school. And, but there's so much about our uniqueness that we need to embrace and own and roll with so that we can contribute and add something different to, to society. Do you think if we did that, do you think if we learned to, you know, own us a bit more, it would help with things like depression and... Like, I, I don't know, I feel awkward talking about that because I'm not a doctor and stuff, but at the end of the mm. day, it's all made up from somewhere and someone came up with the thought and then they researched it. I get it. But then I sometimes think we talk about things that don't really exist. You know, it's not a, it's not a tumor you can take out of someone, depression. Mm. It's a, a conglomerate of ideas and thoughts and yeah. being trapped back there. And It's, it's programming. Yeah. It's wire, like the wiring we've got in our brain and... Yeah. And we're programmed to throughout life to um, to have all these fears and to um, to be kind of uh, well. I mean, a lot of it comes down to like fitting in with society and yeah. stuff as well. But I, I guess because we're only born with two fears, I think, and one's like loud noises, and the others like the feeling of falling or something like that. I can't mm. remember exactly, but. Mm. Everything else is made up. Everything's man-made. Everything's programmed into us. And, and that was another thing I had to, that Susie talked to me about was that I had to rewire my brain because I'm not the same person anymore. Mm. Um, and we all go through changes, you know, like having a child. Like, and, and that's such a crazy, it's almost instantaneous like a spinal cord injury because when okay yeah when your partner's pregnant like okay that's a shock mm. but you don't have a baby yet you're still just two people mm. and as soon as the baby's out it's like oh my god there's this new thing that i need to look after and take care and it's not just me anymore yeah um and we've got to adapt to that and we've got to change and we've got to rewire and 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 yeah as i said adapt to to these changes otherwise if we continue living in the past mm. or trying to think and and our programming is still the way it used to be then we're not going to work in in the present moment and mm. um i think it, you know going back to you're sort of asking about would that have an effect on depression um i think it really would because it did for me yeah i, I don't know about i feel like there are, you know there are different types of depression mine was something that i was thrown into in an instant whereas other people's ones are developed over time right. through their upbringing and yeah. um things that have happened in the past and mm. but i think at the end of the day whatever happened to own it to process it to work through it in whatever ways we need to because if we deny it if we don't own it we deny it mm. and then that's that's letting whatever that thing is still fester inside us without addressing it um so by owning it it means yeah you can um you can work through it in whatever way is needed uh obviously you know having help having other people you know without Susie I probably wouldn't be where I am like mm. 
um, it's it's great to have help and try not to do these things on our own. But um, I think I think owning it's a process too. It's not you can't just all of a sudden decide. Um, it, it takes a bit of time to, to work up to that. But. So there's no like magic bullet. It's just mm. is it planting that seed and saying you know because I'm trying to think you know for the someone listening or watching and they're like well I want this shit I'm not happy with either. So like is it just about trying to say hey i'm not feeling well, i don't know, really know what i'm saying like what was that tip to yourself that susie kind of helped you with that started down that path is, is it, i guess it's not one thing it was yeah it was a process it was um she would come over and we'd just talk about whatever was needed to be talked about i was um suffering from things like um feeling inadequate uh, like just deeply, deeply inadequate yeah. um, because I'd put so much importance on the physical me mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, and I felt like a burden. Um, I felt guilty. Like everyone who had donated money, like my my mum, just getting new grey hairs and mm-hmm. stuff like stressing about me and um, the stress that I'd put her through and and my friends and people that were now having to change what they're doing um, and change the way that they, you know, uh, are doing things when we're going out and having fun and, and um, they're having a stress about me. So, I mean, I was super guilty for things like that, feeling like a burden. And so we'd work through all of these things. And sometimes, like, I'd say something to Susie and she'd just laugh. True. Because it's like, to her, and, it's, and it was a laugh in a way to kind of make me understand that to her that she you know she the way she viewed things what i was putting so much importance on really had no meaning and no relevance like when you look at it and what's actually real mm. it was on it only had that importance because i was putting i'd created that um so yeah it's definitely a process it's something that you need someone someone good to talk to who's not only a good listener but also someone who's got some real um, constructive feedback to be able to give back and yeah uh, whether that's a an actual psychologist Mm. or um, counselor or someone um, it's got to be someone you connect with um, and yeah I guess it really is just it is that process of, of kind of breaking down the demons and yeah. um, and the belief systems. Because, mm. again, like, whatever that belief system that you've created, it becomes such a huge part of us mm. that it's not something you can just switch off. So you, you, we do have to, um, you know, we do have to work through it and, and take the time to, to understand it and, and then kind of, um, yeah, take the time to kind of move forward. But... Mm. When you were wakeboarding, one of the things I'm fascinated to ask you is, um, like this idea of flow. Were you in yeah. flow when you were doing that stuff? While I was riding, a lot of the time I would be. I'm like, still sometimes I'd be, you know, there'd be stuff going on in my brain. Oh, what about this? What about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, I feel like that flow state is when there is no other thought apart from what it is that you're you're doing. Like you know, I was focusing 100 percent on. On, um, on the task at hand and 
yeah, it's it's the type of thing that I guess over time as well, you build up to the ability, um, like I had the, the ability in wakeboarding to just not have to really think I was just acting uh, instinctually um, or instinctively. And, um, and that's one of those things where, you know, the mind goes quiet. Like when you're doing something you're pr- truly passionate about, um, but it's taking your entire focus. Mm. Like, yeah, I. That that was something that I really struggled to find. Yeah. Afterwards, right. you know, I, I like even when you go for a run. Like, sure, you're still thinking about stuff, but it's kind of you know, it's getting those endorphins going and it's yeah. releasing um, pressure and, mm. and anxiety and stress. I struggled to find that. Um, I struggled to feel like. Well, I struggled to feel like, um, like I had that thing that I was passionate about mm. and couldn't find progression really. Cause even at the beginning, it was like all about rehab, like cool, you know? And then if, if I can get these arms working and, and get some progress going, then, um, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I'm moving forward. But I did like two and a half years of mm. constant, constant rehab and, Sure, I made some improvements, but my arms still don't work. Mm. And so for me, none of those improvements are really all that functional. Right. So. Um, and that was, you were trying to find flow and having something to focus on and go deep into. Yeah. And, and like, something that just put me in the present moment. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, when that, when that other thought disappears when all when the mind goes silent then you're truly in the present um any of these thoughts that we're having i mean the majority of them they're all either future or past mm-hmm. um so yeah as you say in that flow state it's 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 when it's that thing that just quietens the noise and gets you right in the moment and i'm stoked to have been able to find that again more recently well what what is putting you in back in that state I have it, it basically so it started um, about I think it was the start of summer last year, and I'd been like because summer was summer was my thing, man. Like that was you know I was chasing it, and then all of a sudden now my body can't handle the heat. I don't sweat to cool off. True. Like so, my body temperature will go up and up and up. I don't get goosebumps to get warm, so my mm. body temperature can crash in the winter, but. Um, I was all of a sudden, you know, like I couldn't take part in these activities. I was struggling to find fun. Um, so I was chatting with some friends of mine and we're like, hey, what, what can I do to have fun again? Um, and one of the ideas was to go scuba diving. And so I spoke to this dive doctor because I needed to get um, consent so that a scuba school could teach me. And so I spoke to, spoke to this dive doctor and he basically said, look, I cannot give you consent to do that. The risks are too high. Mm. I mean, sure, he was looking at a lot of the risks were like, oh, you realize if your regulator falls out of your mouth, you can't put it back in, right? Mm. Or you can't swim to the surface. I'm like, thank you, Captain Obvious. But <laughs> like, I'm wanting to know the physiological issues, like what is it going to do to my body? Yeah. Um, and I guess there's risk of uh, nitrogen bubbles forming on the scar tissue in my spinal cord. Right. Um, 
And I don't know how high that risk is, but there was enough for this doctor to go, absolutely not. And that risk was from, like, comes from breathing compressed gas. So I was like, why don't I hold my breath and see how I go with that? And before my injury, you know, I used to, like, in the pool, like, try holding my breath and see how long I could go. And I had a decent breath hold at that point. Um, it's about three and a half minutes, I think. I've always had really big lungs and um, obviously being an athlete. And then I think within two attempts after getting this word from the, the dive doctor, I just decided I was going to you know, work on holding my breath. Um, within two attempts, I beat that three minute, or three and a half minute record. Wow. And over the last six months, I've been able to gradually build it up to now. My dry land record is five minutes and 45 seconds and underwater is five minutes and 15. Um, and so I'm now delving into the, the realms of freediving. So Whoa. at the moment, it's all swimming pool stuff. Yep. Um, I can't wait to get in the ocean. But it's something that when I'm holding my breath and I'm underwater, like there's something about the sound underwater. It's like that almost like static, that white noise. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, like with meditation, having ambient noise that isn't necessarily anything that you can focus on, it's just noise. Mm. Like it helps us bring things into the present. And I've tried meditating and can kind of do it, but not well. But underwater, man, it's just instant meditation. True. Like there isn't much thought going on at all. And... Being able to push myself in something again is just, it's, um, it's funny, like uh, my friend is, uh, she, like after I go swimming, she's like, refers to me as, as uh, Paul Brad, who's like <laughs> happy Brad again. So now there's like, it's almost like a reference point on, you know, she'll ask me, oh, are you happy today? I'm like, oh, Paul Brad happy, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Or I'm like really just stoked on life again. It's, mm. it's like the old me has come back out, like when I'm really um, I guess passionate about and excited and stoked on on whatever I'm doing in that moment, mm. and it's really cool to find that again and to be able to just yeah. Each time I push myself and um, and I guess I mean wakeboarding wasn't super high risk, but injury you could you know you could get injury. It wasn't necessarily a life or death thing until it got to the point where I was pushing it on the mega ramp. Mm. Um, but yeah, I guess this is somewhat life or death. Um, well, I mean, it is. Yeah. You can drown. I mean, I could drown. I mean, sure, in a swimming pool, I'm only three or four meters down. Mm. They can pull me out and resuscitate me. It wouldn't be the first time. True. Um, not, not in the swimming pool since <laughs> oh, okay. the accident, but yeah. I'm doing oh, like, yeah, yeah. A, when I had my injury, yeah. I nearly had to be resuscitated three or four times in the ICU there to resuscitate me. Um, my my heart stopped while I was weaning off the ventilator. Really? My mum was in the room, everyone I was just sitting there and they're just gone. Like um Do you have chats with your mum about that time for her? Um sometimes, a little just little bits. We've been chatting at a, about it a bit more recently just to get uh you know, to get some, some stuff that I don't remember for mm. for my book. Mm. Um but yeah, I know it was a pretty pretty rough time for her. Um, she she had a diary that she wrote that she kind of that I've read through, and 
Um, I mean, you know, it's one of these things you can only imagine if you're a, a mother. And mm. um, but yeah, and I know, I know now, like with the freediving stuff, like she's stoked <laughs> for me, but she's also like, what the hell? Like, really? She's I thought I had you back. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, yeah, that's the other side, right? She's probably spent way more time with you recently. Mm. than the 21 back-to-backs, eh? Yeah, and I think, you know, she almost lost me, obviously, with yeah, yeah. when this happened, when the injury happened. and um, But I think for me as well, like, if, a, you know, if worst-case scenario I were to die, like, I'd much rather die doing something I love than sit around waiting to get old and, yeah. and go through this painful, slow, old, yeah. losing my memory, lose my mind... Mm sort of thing um, not that I want to die young but um, I hear what you're saying it's, Do- died doing something yeah as opposed to just because it was the time yeah or just because some idiot was driving drunk yeah. and crashed into me or yeah. something and um, so I mean it's just yeah for me it's it's something that I I love um, A the progression and B I think I really love that it's bringing my friends in on this journey. They, they all love being a part of it. Obviously, in the you know the first few times in the pool, they kind of all a bit rattled and trying to figure out what's going on and what signals are meaning what. And um, they were getting pretty nervous when we're getting up to five minutes and um, double checking, making them more, making sure I'm right down there. But how, how um, do you say you're cool? Just a, a look? Yeah. So we've got. Well, I'll have a scuba diver down with me so they don't have to go up and down because none of my friends have the breath hold I, that I have. And um, it's I've kept it really simple. So I didn't want to complicate it and have them down there pointing up going, hey, do you want to go up? Mm. Or, or give me the are you okay signal because then those are two opposite things. Like So I've just left it at a, a nod of the head means I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Shake of the head means get me up. Um, but I have to shake my head quite, like, you know, obviously, um, so that then, you know, because while I'm down there, I look around and, you know, so I don't want them to mistake that I'm <laughs> that I'm shaking my head when I'm just, like, taking a look around. But, yeah. but then I also don't want them to mistake me shaking my head, you know, when I'm actually trying to shake it. Mm. Um, and so I'll usually give it, like, leave myself a, a good extra 20 or 30 seconds um, of air when I give the signal, but because I do it quite like aggressively, like I shake my head quite obviously, and the, mm. they'll freak out. They're like, "Oh my god, he needs to breathe. Get him up now!" <laughs> but um, no, it's 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 a cool thing to have my friends in on that journey, and I'm excited to to see where we can take it. And where, um, where will you take it, bro? Like, is it go- is, so free diving? It's going to be like ocean and yeah. Gun. I mean, I want to go and enjoy ocean life yeah. go and see what's what's under there I mean I've done scuba diving before a long time ago um, but yeah to go and swim around a reef like obviously I'll have people pulling me around swimming with me mm. um, you know checking out the fish I'd love to have the opportunity to swim with like dolphins or whale sharks or something whales mm. even tiger sharks or something you know sharks I think that's something that I would really love the idea of because so much about what I've had to go through, not only with the freediving stuff, like having to stay really calm, but through my whole life post-injury, I'm basically locked in this wheelchair. Like it's almost like 
being in a straitjacket, yeah. you have to be so calm and um, and just kind of just just be. I guess it's it's the type of thing. If you were in a straitjacket, you know, for the first couple of days, you'd be fighting nonstop, and then you'd start to get a bit worn out, and mm. so you'd, you'd fight less and less and less after five years you'd probably be wandering around the streets going shopping whatever like just living in it because it becomes your everyday thing and and you have to just become so calm with that Mm. well you said Um, acceptance but that's different because you kind of gave it a negative connotation originally eh? like like you're giving but it's something different to giving up eh? it's accepting it it, but not uh, i don't know if we have the right uh, if i can even articulate it. it like yeah it doesn't mean doesn't like for me it didn't mean that I'm accepting that I'm going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life and that this paralysis is a lifelong forever thing it's accepting that this is where I am right now um, and I can choose how I roll with that um, but by accepting it it kind of brings it right into the present real truth of what's actually happening Mm. um and i feel like that allows us to move forward yeah so um i'm sure plenty of people have asked about the moment you had your accident the one you know and i don't know if this professional ask or not i just ask and you just you know i don't know yell at me if it's inappropriate (laughs) but did it hurt not really. There wasn't much. Um, so I, the most painful part was when they put the neck brace on me. So when the first responders got there, so I was, I'd already been dragged to shore and was pulled up on the beach. And um, it was kind of this burning feeling in my neck. It wasn't overly painful, painful, just kind of like this really warm burning sensation. Wow. Um, Everything through my body was just, there wasn't, wasn't anything. Um, and that changed actually, so it's, now it's more of a nerve pain, like almost pins and needles through my whole body constantly. So you still get pain? Always, yeah. Um, so it's a constant thing. Um, but yeah, when they put the neck brace on me, it kind of, I think, straightened my neck out put it in this position where I think the bone fragments were right. starting to jab in because I pretty much exploded the, the vertebrae. They pulled the whole thing out. and well, from, from what, video, Yeah, sorry. Yeah, from what the, the neurosurgeon told me, um, he was saying they, this is a neurosurgeon here, not the guy who actually did the surgery in the US, but he was like, oh, I, it looks like they put a um, cadaver vertebrae, so a dead guy's vertebrae in my neck, um, just to replace my one. And, Whoa. And with a bunch of hardware and rods and plates and screws and, um, but yeah, the there wasn't the pain like you would have when you, I mean, even when you like break a bone, yeah, it's painful, but the body just kicks in with adrenaline straight and away. Everything that just kind of almost numbs it. Mm. Um, so yeah, man. Yeah. I guess it's kind of lucky in a way not not to have felt. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, do you kind of, you know, you're piecing all these parts back together. I guess there's video footage, there's your actual experience, there's what other people saw and have told you. Um, Have you kind of 
put together a, a, a kind of narrative in your head of how that all went and um, do, I guess does it play back or are you just kind of learning to say that's that and I'll talk about it when needed but it's not on constant replay yeah um, it's definitely it's, it's something that I, you know I watch the footage enough to to the point where it doesn't suck to watch anymore as much um, the you know I've, I've spoken to friends and spoken to family and people and found out their um, angles on it all and, and that was a lot a lot of it was for research for my book mm. um, but uh, it's it's not something that sits with me anymore it's just it's my past it's something that's happened and um, and that's what I love of actually about this process with writing the book I, you know they the publisher I've signed with, they asked if I wanted a ghostwriter, like to have someone sit with me and write the whole thing. And I was like, no, that kind of defeats the point. Mm. Like it's such a cathartic experience to to sit there. And yeah, even though I'm holding a mouth stick in my mouth and tapping away at a screen mm. one button at a time, um, it's getting it out. And it's it's kind of, yeah, as I said, a cathartic experience. It's, it's, it's almost healing in a way. Mm. Um, to, to, to be able to go through everything that happened and um, to get it out, get it down, and it's almost like something I can move on from mm. after that. I heard you, um, and I mean, we talked briefly about it on another interview, and I think they were asking you about God and stuff, and I think you said something like, like if it's real, he's a bit of a dick for organizing that. Yeah. But I mean, do you have like, a, do you kind of think, do you think things happen for a reason or is it a little bit of randomness mixed with just this inbuilt humanity that we have? Yeah. Because, you know, when you talk, it sounds like um, it's more than just monkeys rolling around. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. like there's this deeper part and I, I understand that tension people have with mm. trying to think it, like that's why we love aliens and because we want to feel like, like, you know, why do I even cry? And I want to understand that. And yeah. if we didn't need to, because sometimes we act like it's all meaningless, but we have all of these inbuilt things. And it just kind of may be keen to pick your brains about, you know, just this wider picture. Well, yeah, I had a lot of people after the accident saying, you know, praying for me and mm. this is all God's plan. And um, and that's where I said, like in that, in that quote, is that if this is God's plan, and he's a dick like <laughs> for, for someone to plan for me to be for everything that I wanted in life everything I'd worked for for almost my whole life to have been taken away like and yet people could look back now and go oh well look what you're doing you're speaking at schools you're motivating people you're doing this and that and blah 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 like it was all part of his plan on my to me and they say everything happens for a reason to me everything happens and then we find a reason. We have the choice, we have the option. I could have quite easily sat back and done absolutely nothing after my injury. I could have gone, you know, miserable. I could have killed myself. I could have, who knows what could have happened. Like there are so many different scenarios, but I chose this one mm. because to me, A, I learned so much um, from what I've been through and I wanted to pass it on. I want, I, I wanted, what I've been through and it's such a painful experience, I want—I didn't want it to be for nothing. 
and I wanted other people to benefit from that. So if I can help other people to own them, you know, or to um, to have more real conversations with their friends or to um, to go out and live life to the fullest, like then I want to be able to inspire that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I do get, you know, the reason for one for you know a lot of people with religion um, and these beliefs. I think because part of me being okay and me being in the situation I am now is faith. Mm. And a lot of the time when you say faith, people think immediately religion, but it's not. For me, it's not. It's faith that what is meant for me will come my way. What is not will pass me by. Things that like two weeks ago, I was searching for, or a couple, maybe three weeks ago, I was searching for producers and, and directors for my documentary and I thought I had one locked in and then it all fell through and I was like gutted. And then a week later, I found someone better, mm. you know, someone that feels like the, the right fit. Mm. Um, and fingers crossed that, you know, metaphorically, um, <laughs> that, that, goes, <laughs> that that goes through. And, um, but I feel like it's, it's all meant to, you know, I've got to have faith that, that everything is meant to happen as it's supposed to be. And it is a freeing thing to have faith, to, to put, like, I've, I've got this balance between responsibility and faith. Mm. So it's my responsibility to work for what I want, but I've also got to have faith that the things that are meant for me will come my way. Um, I like to take responsibility for the things that have happened in my life because if I don't, then I'm taking on a victim mentality. Yeah. And I fucking hate a victim mentality. Yeah. I, I think it's just a shitty way to live where you're blaming everyone else for your problems mm. um, by owning it, by, you know, um, taking responsibility. It means that it gives us the power over a lot of those things. Yeah. But to balance that with, with faith and having faith that, you know, having faith in the process, having faith in myself that I know my limits when I'm holding my breath, having mm. faith in my friends around me um, to get me up in time and, because um, otherwise it's just stressful, man. Yeah. Um, it's just it's such a freeing, relaxing thing. So I get people wanting to have faith in a god or um, or in something else because it takes a lot of the pressure off. Mm. Um, and I think you know a lot of those questions of oh, why are we here and. And, you know, we're this intelligent being and, and so someone must have created us or, you know, and, and kind of because we are supposedly the most intelligent being on this planet, mm. um, it's, it's, it's an ego thing. And it comes down to perspective as well where it's, it's only because it's us that are looking at it this mm. way. Like... If you zoom right in, then reality is bacteria. If we're in our, our perspective, then reality is us and everything around us. If we zoom right out to another galaxy, we're nothing. We're just a speck of dust. You know, like we've got no relevance to anything. So mm. a lot of it comes down to perspective. And for, uh, as you're saying, a lot of us are just trying to search for, for meaning because 
I don't know, it's a, it's a, it'd be a tough sort of a pill to swallow if it was all for nothing, if it were, were all just random and we're all just living and, and we've got to do with our, li- what, with our lives what we, what we would do and then mm-hmm. we die and don't carry on or, you know, that, that would, it, it's, a, it's a tough pill to swallow. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. And that's why I kind of, I, I understand religion a bit better now yeah. and the reasons for, for people taking that on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, yeah, that's not my, it's not my view. It's just something that, um, it was almost like acceptance for me. Yeah. I hated the word. I hated it when it brought up. I was like, <laughs> this wall jumped up instantly in front of me. Because it was same a way with, out. Same with the word God. It was like, yeah. I, I didn't like it. But now if someone says they're praying for me, I just, I, I translate it in my mind yeah. to, yeah, now, you know, they're sending me good vibes. Correct. Um, or if they say the word God, then to me that just means like, our inner love, our uh, that that thing within us that, that drives us. Yeah, um, I think it's what you're saying about perspective. You know, the further you look back, it's just sending a positive message or talking out loud. Like you know, yeah. I've often thought, you know, if you're praying for something, you're probably speaking out loud. It's probably just a good mm. thing. Like, say, hey, I want to have a really good day today. Yeah. Full stop. And it, it changes the cells in our body. Like we're just energy mm. when it comes down to it. Like this, um, this connection and energy, and it's, and it's been proven mm. um, through some some studies and stuff. I I can't think of the ones right now, but um, but yeah, like just having that, like giving yourself positive affirmations in the morning can have a positive effect, and because it just it changes the cell vibration in a different way and um, and there are so many different ways to do that um, and it's just yeah it comes down to, to energy and I think like my girlfriend when I had my accident at the time we were only together from basically from when I hurt myself till when I came back to New Zealand it was kind of a weird scenario but um, she used to like get super upset because she thought that the fact that I wasn't religious meant that I was denying these prayers that were, people were sending my way, thousands of people. And it wasn't that I was denying them, it was just I had a different belief. And, but I still appreciated the love that was coming from that and mm. where that came from. Yeah. Um, it's a, you know, I'm picking up that there's, at the surface level, these things you're talking about can be interpreted the wrong way, but it's it's like what you're talking about acceptance, you know, that that means something to what we think it would mean. And mm. I guess I like that you um you really did time travel, bro. You're like a super old dude who's been to the Matrix and come back yeah. and all of these things. Um, well, the question I ask every guest, and I don't dare imagine, but I. So I ask every guest, do you have a mind-blowing moment? And I'm trying to stop myself saying it, it was your accident, but do you have a moment in life which you can share which has kind of like, I guess, changed your perspective on the way you see the world? Um, I have one moment that uh, was sort of a moment of realisation that came from a couple of different moments. So. The first one was when I was in the spinal unit in the US. And so my level of injury is C4. It means I can shrug my shoulders. I don't have bicep function, so it means I can't move my arms. 
one level down at C5 gives you bicep, means you can move your arms, gives you some sort of functional ability. And I was so jealous of these people with C5 level injuries, but I would have never been jealous of someone like that in my life before my injury. And that on its own was like, okay, hang on, what's going on here? Mm. And then when I was back in New Zealand and I got to um, our, it was the second place I was, I was in back here, the Laura Ferguson Rehab Center. And I met this, um, this dude, he was similar age to me, but he'd gone through medical misadventure, C2 level injury. So basically he could move his face, like his face, facial muscles. Um, he drove his wheelchair using his chin control. Uh, it was constantly on a ventilator, had a nurse by his side at all times. He actually ended up passing away uh, about a year later. Um, but after meeting that guy, I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful for my C4 level injury. And it wasn't even immediately, it was a bit later that I was like, hang on, nothing has changed for me. Like. My situation is, is exactly the same. I'm looking at someone over here going, I'm grateful, I'm looking over here and I'm ungrateful. Well, why, what's the difference? What, like, what does this mean? Like, and it was one of these things where it kind of, it, it taught me that, that we have the power over our unhappiness. And I was, letting my happiness be controlled by comparisons, which so many of us do, especially now with social media. Mm. We're comparing ourselves to mm -hmm. something that's not even real. It's, it's the highlight reel of someone's life. Whereas, I mean, in my comparison, I was comparing myself to what I would see of, of that person. Um, but, you know, and even that's not real. The shell, the outer shell of someone that we see walking along and the person we meet, that's not 100% their truth. That's some of it, you know, if we saw the skeletons in their closet and their dirty laundry and stuff, well, maybe we wouldn't change, exchange our life for theirs. Um, when a lot of the time we may look at what they've got and be jealous. So I think, you know, that, that got me really looking into the, the way the brain works. And that's where Dr. Joe Dispenza, some of his stuff really kind of um, sunk in where it's this thing called metacognition, which is our ability to understand the way we think and the way our brains respond to something that's mm -hmm. happened. So, you know, me meeting that one person made me feel ungrateful. Well, why did that make me feel ungrateful? So I'm now looking at these exterior things as they enter my brain and understanding the effect it has on me and then I started doing that with everything um, with all these emotions and anxieties and stresses and um, anytime I would be upset or you know like have this different emotion would come up I would sit with it and I would understand it because to be honest, I don't think there are any bad emotions. You know, people talk about bad emotions and even anger as being bad. Anger is not bad. It's mm. the way we react, the way we act in, in anger. That can be bad. Um, so A, sitting with these emotions and then B, understanding where they come from. Um, so allow them to run their course. They're there for a reason. 
But then I started looking at going, okay, what is the reason for that? Does it serve me in a positive way? Um, and that's where I began to be able to gain control of my happiness by pretty much putting a filter up mm-hmm. at the gate. When these thoughts and things would come in and I would, I would realize that it was starting to cause a reaction in me. Um, and every time I went through it, I, you know, different thing, I'd get better and better at understanding it. And as it would come in, I'd go, okay, well, either I need to feel this for a reason or it's not going to serve me at all. So now that I understand it and how it works, I can just send it on its way and, and not let it in. Nice. Um, and so that was mind-blowing for me, the fact that, I mean, I guess the mind-blowing moment was ungrateful versus grateful when there was no change in mm. me <laughs> and, going and, and realizing that I was basing my happiness on other people. Um, so, yeah, and I think that that comes down to, you know, a lot of what I say about owning it, man. Like that's just, you know, we're, we're ourselves. We we can't we can't be someone else. Sure, we can improve ourselves and and work on you know. And, and I think mental um, improvement is something that's overlooked a lot. You know, a lot of people go to the gym, and work on their physical selves, yeah. but we don't work on our mental selves a lot. Because what was I saw yesterday? Someone said. Um, we're not a body with a spirit living in it. We're a spirit living in a body. <laughs> um, and that spirit is, is you know, it's all the, the neural connections and everything going on. It's the thing that makes us us. And we need to work on that and, and understand it and learn to love it. Um, yeah, and, and kind of moving away from the ego. Yeah, I just, <clears throat> it's all sinking in, man. And it's at moments like these, I forget that I'm interviewing you, you know, because I'm like, yes, that makes sense. And mm. I wish more people could speak like this. And I feel like we want to. Maybe we're just not given permission all the time, you know, like, yeah. like you can't speak out of turn or you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, well, end of the day, like you say, we're just that spirit trying to work our way through this meat sack. And that's an interesting, <laughs> interesting thing to ponder. Um, you're on some journey, bro. And it's like, I don't want to even talk like, like it is really, it's still going, eh? So next time we yeah. catch up, you will have done all these different things. And yeah. like we didn't touch on your hundred days of standing and all of these things, but um, yeah, I, I kind of encourage people to jump over to your Instagram. That's your main place to hang on. Yeah, Instagram, I got um, like a Facebook recovery page, Brad Smaller's recovery, but yeah, I'm getting close to the end of that hundred days of standing. Um, that's as much about habit forming as it is about the actual standing. Mm. It's just about doing something and forcing myself to do it and repeat. It actually came from the 100 days of sweat mm. a friend of mine was doing. Um, and yeah, it was just something I decided I was going to do. And even if I don't do it every single day, I'm going to do the 100, 100 days, 100 standing days mm. and, um, and form better habits. And, and again, that's another thing. Like, understanding how the brain works habit forming man like mm. we can change what we do how we think how we act if it's just through building better habits mm. awesome bro well thanks for joining me on the podcast and blowing our minds thanks and for having me i want to uh yeah i hope this is one of many conversations because i feel like we want to go deeper into that matrix and i'm worried one day i won't come out but <laughs> like you say yeah <laughs> awesome thanks bro yeah hey, thanks for having me cheers